0: Take that!
1: Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark, and I'm joined with my co-host and good friend, Ben Reschlag. Hey Don Ben. Hey Theo, I'm good. How are you doing? Really well. Um This episode, we are going to be uh, continuing on from a previous episode where we were looking at misuse of information and statistics. Uh, In the first episode, uh, we looked at just the misuse of information, in particular um, science information. So this one, uh, we're really just going to look at the misuse of statistics uh, and misunderstanding of randomness and probability in particular because the misuse of statistics generally can be quite... A deliberate tactic by people, um, you know, they spinning one statistic another way or, or a different way or choosing a particular way to look at it. But then also, um, misunderstanding of randomness and probability is probably more of a cognitive flaw or just a general flaw people have in their mathematical reasoning or yeah, numeracy. Well,
2: it's, uh, it's to do with, uh, people just aren't very good intuiting probability stuff. Yeah, they're terrible like at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't yeah. understand risk at all.
1: In the previous episode, I also, uh, used some of the original episode, but I, I cut a little bit out that was on the misuse of statistics from, uh, the original episode. So we're going to start with a clip from the original episode, uh, on the misuse, uh, that has, includes my father, Jeff, uh, the, the original co-host and no offense, Ben, but the better co-host. And I blame myself as well because he was better than me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's certainly funny. Son of a bitch. And, um, but, yeah, so we'll play the original one now, and then we'll come back, and Ben and I have got a couple of new clips to have a listen to. So here's some a little bit from the original episode on misuse of statistics. And I think, um, uh, Dad, one of the the best ones we've come across ourselves in terms of misusing statistics is the fact that, The actual numbers themselves are meaningless unless you have a good idea of where they came from and how they were collected and the types of questions that were um, asked of that. Yeah,
3: I think um, I I was just involved in something yesterday that's pertinent to that point. Um, There's a a very noble activity uh, done in our area. It's a koala survey where they're getting some, attempting to get, get some data on koala populations Now, if the data is collected in a comparable way year by year, you get a sense of whether the koala population is increasing or decreasing. But if the data is collected in different ways year by year and you find, for example, there are fewer koalas sighted this year than last year, um, then it doesn't necessarily mean there's a reduction in the population. So,
1: Yeah. No, I think... um Uh, The the main point of all that is when a a lot of the time the people who report it and gather the data actually do say all that. And in in their report they will cite those things, they'll say the methodology was changed, they'll cite all the questions, but then when journalists and media outlets pick it up, they'll just give the raw or the the percentage number out at the end and so it paints a a kind of a false picture of what's going on and so a lot of these things need to be uh, taken with a grain of salt. My favourite example, of course, is in the way of shaping uh, surveys, and I know it's your favourite example too, is um, this little clip from Yes, Prime Minister, the classic British TV uh, sitcom. And in this little audio clip we'll play now, it's uh, Sir Humphrey Appleby is explaining to Bernard, who's um, the Prime Minister's uh, personal secretary, uh, how he can commission a survey to uh, show the Prime Minister that people actually would be against uh, national service or conscription. So I'll play this clip now.
4: So he thinks, thinks it's a vote winner. Ah, that's more serious that. What makes him think that? Well, the party have had an opinion poll done. It seems all the voters are in favour of bringing back national service. Well, will have another opinion poll done, showing the voters are against bringing back National Service. <laughs> well, we can't be for it, oh, and against... of course they can, Bernard. Have you ever been surveyed? Yes. Well, not me, actually. My house. Oh, I see what you... <laughs> <doing. laughs> Bernard, you know what happens. A nice young lady comes up to you. Obviously, you want to create a good impression. You don't want to look a fool, do you? <laughs> no. no. So she starts asking you some questions. Mr. Woolley, are you worried about the number of young people without jobs? Yes. Are you worried about the rise in crime among teenagers? Yes. Do you think there's a lack of discipline in our comprehensive schools? Yes. Do you think young people welcome some authority and leadership in their lives? Yes. Do you think they respond to a challenge? Yes. Would you be in favour of reintroducing national service? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I suppose I might. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Of course you would, Bernard, after all you've told you can't say no to that. <laughs> so, they don't mention the first five questions and they publish the last one. You said, really what they do? Well, not the reputable ones, no, but there aren't many of those. <laughs> so, <or laughs> alternatively, the young lady can get the opposite result. How? Oh. Mr. Woolley, are you worried about the danger of war? Yes. Are you worried about the growth of arms? Yes. Do you think there's a danger in giving young people guns and teaching them how to kill? Yes. Do you think it's wrong to force people to take up arms against their will? Yes. Would you oppose the reintroduction of national surveys? Yes. There <laughs> you are, you see, Bernard. The perfect balance sample. <laughs> so, we just commission our own survey for the Ministry of Defence. See you, Bernard. Oh, yes.
1: So that was, uh, Yes Prime Minister. And yeah, that, that to me is the classic way of, if you want to actually get to the, what the numbers mean, you need to look at what, how they were collected and the point of it in the first place. Yeah, you see,
3: with, with that example in Yes Prime Minister, it's particularly good because you can see the two different preambles, uh, juxtaposed closely together and see how they would affect a respondent when the questions are,
1: are asked. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's why, again, if you want to find out about statistics, you really need to try and find the source of them, and also not just assume that even if the source is correct, the reasoning behind it uh, in the first place is necessarily telling you anything in terms of a moral kind of or an argument in any particular way. So an example I had in a lecture was when we were being told about the changes in work patterns over the last uh, decade or 20 years or so, And the fact that less people were getting uh, full-time permanent employment and there was a greater uh, employment in terms of casuals in the workforce. And the way the lecturer was putting it was as if that was a bad thing. And I pointed out in the lecture that, well, actually, I was a casual employee and that suited me just fine because that's exactly what I needed whilst I was going through university. And so the assumption that that's necessarily a, a good or a bad thing based on a number, when it's on its own and you don't actually ask the people why they have put that down as their preference so for example did you like this tv show and someone clicks yes or no that doesn't give you any real information that's actually of any use because it just says it says a preference whereas what you'd want to know is why didn't you like it or why did you like it and then you can actually get some usable information about it too so statistics on their own basically are almost meaningless they're all, unless you they're they're a good indicator of there's something to be investigated here, or they're of use for um, starting off a, 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 an investigation in a particular direction, but on their own, without any context, they're essentially, um, if anything, they can be misleading, and that's the whole point of the, uh, the type of fallacy, the misuse of information or the misuse of statistics. Okay, so that was from the original episode on misuse of statistics, and now we're going to look at some other, um, little clips. So this first one here jumped out at me really, really quite, um, immediately when I saw it or heard it. It's from the, uh, recent Worldwide Developers Conference that Apple ran, and as usual, uh, they, you know, have a keynote presentation, and the CEO, uh, of Apple, Tim Cook, got up on stage and presented uh, a keynote about all the stuff they're doing, which of course they do, and, and He couldn't help himself. He had to get in a little dig at windows there and... I'm going to lay it out there. I am a Windows user. I actually like Windows 8 as well. I'm one of the few people. Um, and also an Android user. In saying that, I've had a uh, iPad before, which I really did like, but now I've gotten rid of that. Can and I just imagine. say I hate
2: Mac products? Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> Controversial, but hang on. What type yeah. of keyboard is you out there, yeah. Ben? <laughs> <laughs> FYI, Ben has an Apple Bluetooth keyboard hooked up to his tablet. To be fair, it's a Samsung tablet, but they do make the best Bluetooth they do. keyboard. I it's a really great yeah. keyboard. And look... This is completely off tangent. They make great products, but if you know what you're doing with computers, uh, you know, anything, anything will work for you as long as you're prepared to learn how to use it properly. Anyway, off topic. Let's have a listen now to Tim Cook, uh, giving some stats about how well, uh, Apple Mac sales are doing, uh, in the last financial year.
5: Just since its release in October, we've installed over 40 million copies of Mavericks. This is the most of a single release ever in Apple's history. Also, that makes over 50% of our install base working on our latest operating system. This is the fastest adoption ever of any PC operating system in history. Now, you may wonder how that compares to Windows. (laughs) I knew somebody was gonna ask, so I decided to make a chart. (laughs) Well, as it turns out, Windows 8 shipped about a year before Mavericks, and it's at 14%. Need I say more?
2: Okay, Theo, so what's going on here?
1: Yeah. Well, it's a bunch of fucking Apple fanboys. No, <laughs> Apple, if, I'm assuming quite a few Apple people listen to this because, you know, subscribe on iTunes and however you listen to it, that's great. Uh, no, look. It, it's um of course it's an Apple keynote, so you know of course he's going to tweak their own products. There's no issue with that. Um And paint, yeah, paint uh, a picture of
2: Microsoft stuff in the worst possible light. Yeah, well.
1: well, it's funny because yeah. they're actually frenemies now, yeah, really. So they actually have a con- common enemy in Google. So, but um, although they've all been um, they've all been busted just uh, colluding, colluding, about,
2: yeah, <laughs> <to> not poaching <laughs> each other's employees. Engineers. Yeah, yeah.
1: But also the other, and again off topic. Yeah. Um, it's Tim Cook's obviously doing the Steve Jobs style of presentation where we're going to talk really slowly and deliberately about our products and about how well our products are doing. I find that really irritating. <laughs> <laughs> it might work for, maybe it works for Americans. I don't know. I probably have more American listeners, so you can uh, let us know. Um, look, so the main thing, and I don't think it, um, came from the audio, but he puts up a slide with a, um, and it was a beautiful slide because it was made in keynote, and a little bit keynote is beautiful um, and it's pie charts that show the uh, percentages or sorry the number of um uh, sorry yeah, the percentages adoption of mac OS Mavericks versus windows 8 and the issue there of course is he's looking at percentages now there's one point five billion pcs with windows on there out there, including xP and so on so there's some net market share data from May, and I'll put this in the show notes, that shows Windows 8's on about 14% of all PCs, 14% of 1.5 billion. Uh, so given that, that's about 210 million PCs. So Wait, five have, times more.
2: So what, what, did, what did he say the uh, Macs had?
1: So he just did 50%, and there's 80 million Macs yeah. altogether. So, you know, it, and again, that's great. Like, that's, that, that's really great adoption. But, of course, the other thing is, uh, Mavericks is free and it's a minor update compared to Windows 8 Windows 8 was a whole you know new iOS update um, and people who have Windows computers generally don't upgrade Windows they will just buy a new PC and get whatever the latest operating system is and will, if you did want to upgrade and I did but I'd pay 15 bucks as well you know which is a cheap upgrade but so look it basically you know it's almost apples and oranges and
2: we're not actually getting paid by Microsoft no, no, pictures, no, so. no,
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not <laughs> uh although I'm certainly open to suggestions <laughs> yeah, if mean, Microsoft is listening. Um, no, it, the, the issue really is it, it's about the... Um,
2: well, there's this hidden premise isn't yeah. it, behind his whole point?
1: And uh, the main learning from all this, and we'll talk about the next one as well, is you need to don't just look at the statistics uh, that you've presented, try and think about what are the numbers behind those statistics and what do they mean. Um, and, so you've got to look
2: at the relative value of all of these things. Yeah.
1: And, and understand the full context of it. So yeah, as, a, and look, it's a good bit for his keynote presentation, but there's more to it than simply, um, you know, they've had greater, especially look, if you're a developer, what you're thinking about is not just the percentage. You're thinking about, well, how many, what, how many opportunities do I have to sell a product to someone? So I've got 210 million people using Windows 8. I've got 60, 40 million using Mavericks. But then, you know, you factor in, okay, but do people on Windows buy lots of applications compared to people on Mac. So there's lots of different... And same with Android and iOS and all those battles. And I don't care either way. It's just... um amu- It was an amusing thing. And the first thing I thought of w- about that was, um, yeah, but how many millions of PCs are there with Windows? So, you know, it's almost... And in a way, it's a cheap shot, too. It's almost like, why bother? You know, if you're doing well, then just say you're doing well. You don't even need to talk about the yeah. other guys.
2: But as he said, though someone would have asked him the question, so That's he had, he had sure. to spin yeah. it in the best yeah. possible light,
1: didn't he? <laughs> oh, look, and the thing Apple can brag about is in terms of how much money they're making in the as a percentage. So even in phones, I mean, they sell like twenty percent of the phones, but make eighty percent of the profit. So you know they're doing okay. They're doing can, okay. I think yeah. they're the richest company on the planet. So yeah, I'd, I'd say. They're or is it, is well it for them, them or is it
2: Google
1: now? I can't remember. No, no, my ask Apple's ahead of Google. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there um, it was them and Exxon, I think. So. <laughs> Not sure you want to be in the same category as Exxon. <laughs> um. Okay, let's have a listen to uh, another clip. Now, the next one we're going to listen to um, is an Australian uh, journalist, inverted commas. No, I shouldn't use the word journalist. He's not really. Uh, Australian media commentator uh, called Andrew Bolt. Um, apologies to Australian listeners who just had a shiver go up their spine. Uh, he – I don't have an issue with his side of the politics. I have an issue with the way he – um, distorts and presents information uh, and he's a climate change denier um, and he he's one of the people who continues with that factoid that there hasn't been any global warming for the last 10 years and so let's have a listen to uh, Andrew Bolt talking about uh, the supposed pause, pause yeah. in climate change.
0: Now, that's true, even if man's emissions really were heating the planet dangerously. But increasingly, the real-world evidence suggests they aren't. For at least a decade, the planet has not warmed, even though emissions have soared. The rise in the sea levels have slowed, not sped up. The Great Barrier Reef is not dying after all. And the flooding rains, we were told, would never fall again, have returned.
2: So, as you, as everyone can tell from that, he's, uh, Andrew Bolt has trouble lying straight in bed. <laughs> every single fact or purported fact in that little clip is wrong. And not yeah. just a little bit wrong, it's egregiously wrong.
1: Now... Um, so and again, I'll, well, I'll put some links in the show notes about um, where people have analysed it because, in particular, on the video, and I'll, I'll put the original YouTube clip there too. He you know shows the graph and shows does the trend line going flat, or even slightly down for the last you know um, 10, ten years or whatever it was he's done it for. Yeah,
2: uh, I think I think the thing that annoys me the most about Andrew Bolt is that he doesn't actually understand any of the content of what he's talking about. He he has admitted. That he doesn't understand statistics and he doesn't un- understand how science works. Obviously, I mean um, the f- the fact that he still confuses weather with climate mm. should be the, the red flag for everyone who's interested in this sort of thing. I mean the the pause. If if you if you go into that uh, one of the links that Theo will put up, the uh, one to uh, Grog's gamut, he, um, he he what he's done is he selectively picked. Ten-year period, and then taken a trend line from that. Yep. But the thing is, though, the def the scientific definition is average climate or average average is averaged over thirty years. So you'll see how is um, and there's a there's a really great graph on there that's uh, the difference between how a climate denier sees the temperature data over time and how scientists see it. And what they've done is they've just stepped it up every decade. They just yeah. pick a decade and then draw a straight line because that's what the regression line yeah, is. Exactly, yeah, exactly. But if you look at over the entire length of the period, rather than just condensing it down to a short-term area,
1: there's a definite up- upward trend. Yeah, it's ba- basically it's um, cherry-picking the, the two endpoints yeah. of your line of best fit and then ignoring all the... So you pick those points so you can get your average of yeah. the right being flat or, or a little bit lower. But, of course, if you're doing a regression, you need to look at the entire data set. Um, well,
2: and it's it's even, it even goes beyond that. I mean, to look at over a 10-year period is just misleading yeah. because that's not how scientists look at climate.
1: Well, and again, you can see year to year you get dramatic yeah. change, but it's the overall trend that's going upwards. And again, you know, he's not a freaking climate scientist. That's what really bugs me about yeah. all this stuff is. And the analogy I like to use, and I've heard other people use it, is if I get, go to the doctor and I get diagnosed with some illness, I don't just go, oh, what, what would you know? You're in the pocket of big pharma. Now, some people do that, sure, but most people will go listen to the advice of the expert and the doctor. But in, so my advice with any science stuff is, I'm not an expert scientist. I understand the process of science. So if you want me to go against this scientific consensus on anything, you got to give me better reasons than paranoid conspiracy theories. Yeah. And any the paranoid conspiracy theory that works well with climate change is the opposite one from the contrarians, which is there are vested interests in, um, you know, in big energy sectors like um, uh, non-renewable energy that actually have begun a ca- or have been running a campaign to put down in it similar to the way that happened with the tobacco industry in the 1950s and 60s. And it's actually the same people. <laughs> yeah, it's right, because they're experts at it, and it worked really well. The yeah. tobacco thing took 40, 40 50 years for, for any real movement to happen. Now, the number one point is... He has grabbed some stats to suit his own argument and keeps going on with that fact, even though he's been corrected over and over again oh, It's been, not to be.
2: It's been debunked over and over again. Yeah. I mean, the last decade is the, last, the hottest decade yeah. on record. And yeah. every previous decade before that yeah. is hotter than the one before it. Yeah. So it's just egregiously misleading what he does. Yeah.
1: And and he, I mean, I I think I don't think he misunderstands it. I think he's acting in bad faith. And um in a future episode that I'm planning to do on bad faith, I've got another example of kind of Andrew Bolt stacking the deck and acting in bad faith, which in terms. Which is basically, I mean, I'll call it outright lying, really. Um, you know, that's one other way to, to describe bad faith.
2: Yeah, well, I suppose it depends whether he, whether you think he's completely cynical and knows exactly what he's doing, or if he really is just. Yeah, a, as a rule
1: of thumb, I don't right. like to impugn motives, but in his yeah. case, I, it's hard not to think he doesn't know what he's doing because he is very clever. He's not, yeah. he's not a stupid person. He's a, he's actually really smart. Right. Um, very okay. good, good arguer. Um, a very uh, lucid and erudite in the way he speaks but he just has taken on almost a caricature position, especially now he's got his own TV program, The Bolt Report, which accidentally flipped past sometimes on a Sunday morning and gag a little when I see it. I hope I haven't given away my politics in this podcast. I try not to, but <laughs> Andrew Bolt say, um, I can't help myself. Yeah. Look, so that's a couple of examples of um, misuse of statistics. Uh, the next thing I wanted to look at uh, was probability. Now, there's a couple of different examples I've got, and what, some of them are a bit more laughable than others. Um, the first one, however, I thought we'll start on something that's a bit not as nice. Uh, it's to do with Sally Clark, uh, and the chances of getting, of your child having sudden infant death syndrome. Um, she was a British lady who was convicted because she had two children, uh, come remember how old they were, but they're quite young, both died, died, uh, and, uh, in court, the, the status, uh, the coroner, I think it was, basically said the chance of this happening was one in 75 million or something yeah. like that. Uh, anyway, look, I'm probably screwing up the details. So I've got a, some audio from a TED Talk given by a statistician called um, Peter Donnelly. And again, I'll put the link for the entire TED Talk in there because it's a really good talk just on stats and, and probability. Uh, and then we'll have a bit of a chat about it afterwards.
0: thing, those of you in Britain uh, will know about what's become rather a celebrated case of a woman called Sally Clark, who had two babies who died suddenly, and initially it was thought that they died of what's known informally as cot death, and more formally as sudden infant death syndrome. For various reasons, she was later charged with murder, and at the trial, her trial, a very distinguished pediatrician gave evidence that the chance of two cot deaths, innocent deaths, in, in a family like hers, which was professional and non-smoking, was one in 73 million. Had a long story short, uh, she was convicted at the time, later, fairly recently, acquitted on appeal, in fact on the second appeal. And it happened in large part here because the expert got the statistics horribly wrong. In two different ways, so where did he get the one in 73 million number? He looked at some research which said the chance of one cot death in a family like uh, Sally Clark's is about one in eight and a half thousand. So he said, I'll assume that if you have one cot death in a family, the chance of a second child dying from cot death aren't changed. So That's what statisticians would call an assumption of independence. It's like saying if you toss a coin and get a head the first time, that won't affect the chance of getting a head the second time. So if we toss a coin twice, the chances of getting a head twice are a half, that's the chance the first time, times a half, The chance the second time. So he said, here, let's assume, uh, I'll assume that these uh, events are independent. When you multiply 8,500 together twice, you get about 73 million. And none of this was stated to the court as an assumption or presented to the jury that way. Unfortunately here, and really regrettably, first of all, in a situation like this, you'd have to verify it, uh, it empirically, and secondly, it's palpably false. There are lots and lots of things that we don't know about sudden infant deaths, it might well be that there are environmental factors that we're not aware of, and it's pretty likely to be the case that there are genetic factors we're not aware of. So if a family suffer from one cot death, you'd put them in a high-risk group. They've probably got these environmental risk factors and or genetic risk factors we don't know about. And to argue then that the chance of a second death is as if you didn't know that information is really silly. It's worse than silly, it's really bad science. Nonetheless, that's how it was presented, and at trial, nobody even argued it.
1: Yeah, so that's a really poignant and sad example because... Um... It um, actually reminds
2: me of uh, what's going on in America at the moment. The forensic lab that did all the work for the FBI has just been found out to have been doing a whole bunch of dodgy stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, basically, there's a whole bunch of people who, some of them even on death row, who are having their convictions overturned yeah. because of the... The the poor science that's been done in this forensic lab. Um, I'll I'll send. I'll put up a link for. um, I don't know if anyone reads it. It's an excellent website. Why evolution is true. Oh yeah. yeah. Run by the biologist Jerry Coyne. He actually uh, has has um, been an expert witness in quite a few trials, and uh, normally to do with the the probability of matching um, DNA samples. Yep and he was he always thought right from the beginning like as in this case that chances of if it, if it actually is 1 in 8000 times 1 in 8000 chance of two sudden infant deaths happening yeah. together that's 1 in 73 million or whatever he actually uh was and they do the same thing with uh with dna matching yeah. because it's like most that's how they tell them that most people everyone is unique they have unique dna and the chances and they only Measure um, a couple of points, yeah. They do the
1: whole, the whole, um, yeah. sequence,
2: yeah. yeah they just do, I think it's seven or eleven. There's yeah. some number that yeah. they worked out as appropriate. Anyway, there's, it's equivalent. It's like, it's basically, it's in that order of magnitude yeah. of the chances of the same, of two different people having matching, the same yeah. And matching, yeah. But what, uh, Jerry says is that these labs have a 2% error rate. So, which is huge, which is huge. Yeah, That's yeah. like one in 50. Yeah. So what, what that means is, is that it's not actually a 1 in 73 million chance. So that's yeah. what it is. It's Basically, actually, means they it's would a 1 need in to, 50 chance. Yeah, and
1: then they should, to, in order to do that, they should retest it when they get yeah. the positive one yeah. that says this is the right person. They'll need to retest it again. or get another lab to test it? Yeah. You know, to you know, yeah, that's yeah. terrible.
2: So, I mean, this is another example of yeah. these this sorts of things. An happen. assumption yeah. that hasn't been
1: thought through. Yeah. The thing about this one I find really uh, sad as well is it reminds me of the opposite... When you're teaching, because in my background, I used to be a math, maths, uh, physics, and science teacher. When you're teaching kids initially about probability, you know, the first thing you start off with is normally you know, heads and tails yeah, in primary like school.
2: Dependent and independent. Yeah, and
1: most people initially, they always think if you toss, say, five heads in a row, chances are yeah. the next one's going to be a tail. Yeah. And I've even had um, friends in their late teens, early 20s, that I couldn't convince her that. It took me a long time to convince her that, not naming any, any names, Evan. Uh, <laughs> had a big argument with a friend about that, saying... Well, this um, is
2: the business model of casinos, yeah. isn't it? It's like...
1: This is also how I tell if Evan listens to this podcast or yeah. has, has a go at me about this. <laughs> uh, but, but I remember him saying, but chances are, like if you've tossed 10 heads in a row, chances are the next one's going to be a tail. It's like, no, there's no, the chance is 50-50 because the coin doesn't remember what the last coin toss was. And yes, over a, a long period of time, it's going to even out. But yeah, it doesn't remember. Now, with this, when you're throwing into a human trait, the re- the, the reason why there's a probability of 1 in 8,000 is because it's been measured. That's how often it occurs in the and population. Period, yes, yeah. yeah, But it's not random. It's because amongst any human genome pool, there's some people obviously have this characteristic or amongst the environmental yeah. thing, there's something that has this. So if that happens to you... Yes, actually, the chances are you are of a higher risk, like with any illness. So if you've got you know any kind of hereditary um, heart, illness, disease. heart disease, cancers, yeah. whatever, yes, the chances now increase for you. They're still quite small with a lot of these things, and still probably quite small with with uh, cop death. But in that case, yeah, you don't just do the random probability. So I'd say, so the guys, it's almost like he learned that lesson on flipping coins too well. Yeah. And it's like, oh, if, if you've got two properties, you multiply them together. That's what it is. It's like, yeah, but that's for true randomness, you know, or, or as far as we can tell randomness. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, really got it wrong. And, and I yeah, got it wrong for us double check here. She died of alcohol poisoning at her home. So she had a lot of mental, as you would. I mean, imagine being a bloody, um, going to prison wrongly, wrongfully yeah. convicted, then to a women's prison as someone who everyone thinks has killed their own kid. Yeah. And there's these other, people, their kids. Yeah, yeah. And these other people there who are desperately sad that they're not with their own children. Yeah. Can you imagine what that, that'd be like, like being, you know, you know in a prison when you're, um, innocent, just be the worst thing in the world, yeah. Um, anyway, let's get, let's move on to something a bit more, uh, interesting, uh, amusing <laughs> and upbeat. Um, this is one of my favorite ones that, uh, creationists like to pull out about, uh, evolution and the beginning of life. Um, I won't give you any more. This one's from a place, uh, a website called youarecall.org so I guess that means your call uh, it's a community of Christians sharing their ideas about the relationship between faith and science which you know when I read that I was like oh that's cool but because I'm you know I'm more for tolerance and a big tent that's what I think about and stuff I just care that people care about science so much um, but yeah if you're going to promote uh, anti-evolution views then sorry I'm not on your side anymore um, but anyway let's have a listen to this clip from one of their YouTube videos
0: Famed British astronomer and avowed atheist Fred Hoyle calculated that the chance of obtaining all the enzymes required for life at random is outrageously small, comparing it to the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials therein. Evolutionists want you to think that it's possible. Could there be a better answer?
1: Could there be a better answer, Ben?
2: Could there be a better answer? I don't think so.
1: <laughs> no, obviously God did it is a better answer. Yeah. Oh, hang on. That's a, no, no, it's, it's aliens. Yeah, aliens, yeah. Hang on, that's a non-answer. <laughs> that's called I give up. By saying God did it, that's see, that's when I have a problem with with, you know, faith of any kind and science clashing is when essentially you're giving up. When you're saying God did it, you're giving up on doing science and trying to figure it out. Okay, you can agree God did it, but then well, how did he do it? Specifically. Give me some details. What did he actually do, you know? But anyway, let's listen to the um let's think about the actual example. So that's a fairly often quoted Fred Hoyle um statement. And again, it's simply the the fallacy really of the like the lottery fallacy or the law of truly large numbers, which is if someone has to win the lottery, well not every week, yeah. but over the, you know over the year Lots of people win the lotto. The chance of being you is infinitely small. Yeah. It's very small, not infinitely, you know, one in eight million, whatever it is. Um, but the chance of someone winning it is actually very high because there's lots of people playing it. So, you know, there's lots of theories about how the universe, whether we're in a multiverse and all those kinds of things, but I don't particularly like those theories because I feel like that's a bit kind of giving up. Well, anyway, I don't know the physics enough of it, but I don't particularly like those either. But the point is over millions of years, or mi- billions of years across hundreds of thousands or millions or billions of planets, actually this experiment of life is potentially being run over and over and over again. So actually the chance of it happening somewhere is very, very high. And then, of course, the other thing is a complete misunderstanding of how evolution works. That's exactly right. I was, that's what I was going to say. I mean,
2: it. It's uh, his point is trivially true. If, if the chances of a cell spontaneously whipping together in one event like that are... Minuscule, yeah, but that's not as you were saying. That's not how evolution works. Evolution works through the accretion of, yep. s- of change over
1: generations, yeah, like billions of years. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, so yeah, so if it started um, with any kind of replication, is is what you need. Um, and then, so if you get crystals forming or something like that, whatever it happens to be, yeah. little bubbles and, of,
2: yeah, little bubbles of uh, liquids in the water. I yeah, there's
1: lots again. of different ideas about how it could happen. And then once that process begins, and then it builds upon each thing and each generation. Right. You know, it's so, algorithmic. Yes, yeah, so, it? that's right. So it is an algorithm. Yeah, and that's why I really like um, Daniel Dennett's book about uh, evolution because it really talks about it being an algorithm, which is some a really um, easy way of understanding it. Yeah, and so so basically, um, in, in a way. It, that argument is an argument from personal incredulity. It's like, I can't imagine how that could have happened, so therefore it mustn't have happened.
2: Yeah. And it's, it, like- it, it's the same as with the climate change deniers. Yes. Essentially, they're saying that I can't imagine how humans could affect
1: yeah. something yep. as big yep. as a planet. Yep. And, well, and it's similar to that too, it's yeah. straw man often yeah. too. So they what they like to do is mischaracterise the argument yeah. so that no uh, inverted commas evolutionists, love that term, would never make the claim that they <laughs> – would never never make the claim how they put it, you know, yeah. that explain about the progression and all that stuff. And, but they're really the number one in terms of the um, the thing we're looking at today, the misunderstanding of probability. It is that lottery fallacy. But, yeah, it, it's a real misunderstanding of that probability. Um, it's interesting because this probability, I think, is an intuitively hard concept for people to get. Yeah. A lot of times our instincts are the wrong way around.
2: Particularly with the, the gambler's fallacy yeah, is like a yep. perfect example yep, of that. And exactly. It's the same with how people perceive risk yep. in the same fashion. It's like, yeah, our, as, we can't trust our intuitions basically.
1: Yeah. And, and so, and, and the, um, a really good example of that. It's in a book I've kind of a bit, bit of the way through reading is a book called How Not to Be Wrong. Um, it's by a mathematician and it's really good and it's quite an arrogant title, but one of the examples he gives in that book is um I'm probably going to screw this up so I hope they'll get it someone right. During the war, uh the one of the defence ministries, it might have been the US Defence Department, wanted asked the mathematicians to analyse where they should um put armour on their bombers. And they thought that they should put armour on the bombers where they had the most bullet holes when the you know the bombers would come back, they'd see where the bullet holes are and they thought, let's put all the armor there. The mathematicians looked at it and one of the mathematicians said, no, you should put it where the bullet holes aren't. And intuitively, go, hang on, why does that make sense? But what he realised is that they've got a biased sample. The sample of planes that have come back are the ones that survived. The ones that didn't come back are probably where the bullet holes went that made them not return, you know, so hit yeah. a fuel tank or whatever. So it's ingen- yeah. ingen- obvious in hindsight yeah but you almost need that mathematical training to actually get and do yeah. the type of thinking. So I imagine if they'd armed the wrong bits, they'd be like, why are the planes still going down, you know? And um, so he's got heaps of examples like that about mathematicians basically winning the war. Um, you know, and of course, there's the famous examples of the code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the yeah. code breakers and all that kind of stuff as well, yeah. So that's an, actually a book I'd recommend to you have know, a look at is that on how I'm, to be wrong. I'm
2: surprised you need to read that book, Theo.
1: Oh, mate, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to read it. I don't need to read anything. <laughs> I can sit on my ass and just watch Simpsons all day. <laughs> no, no, it, it's a, it's, it's, um, yeah, I heard an interview with him and I thought, oh, that sounds like a really great book. So, yeah, I got a copy and, um, yeah, it's really good so far. It's one of the ones on my reading list. Not quite as good as, um, or cheap as another book I could mention, but I won't because that would be, uh, you know, not cool. Humbug Skeptic Fields got like $4. Uh, yeah, so it's really, it's really a, um, Something to bear in mind, I think, is is with statistics and probability is to go back and think about what are the assumptions people are making, um, uh, do you understand the entire big picture of it, and just to freely admit, especially if it's not something you really uh, have a good background in, just to say, look, I don't, I'm not sure about this because I don't know. I think that's something where people get into a lot of trouble is they pull some numbers out and they apply some meaning to it without yeah, yeah. really knowing what the numbers mean themselves.
2: Yeah, if I can just dive back into my favourite subject of climate change. Yeah, um, most of the scientists who are in disagreement with climate change aren't climatologists yep. or physicists or they're normally statisticians, and, or they're modelers of, or engineers who are modelers of some kind. Yep. and I think this comes down to the problem where or geologists or in, geologists, in not, not all of them, are, <laughs> yeah. not all of them. But um, it it comes down to the fact that uh, when when you when you're doing physical models, which is what the G, uh, general climate models are, they're constrained by physical things. They're not just numbers in the ether, which is another um, factoid that gets around yeah. is that uh, their models are not based on anything real, which is just wrong. And so. You need to have that kind of a background to be able to put it in the the models and the numbers the models give you in context with reality. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the, the people that Andrew Bolt takes advice from on this stuff are just
1: the wrongs completely like, yeah. mocked it. For example, yeah, yeah, yeah and it's yeah. just. It's the arrogance of their ignorance. Exactly. So, yeah. exactly. They don't, they don't know what they don't know. They, ref- or haven't taken the time to realize, oh, maybe I actually do need to go study this for a couple of years yeah. and get a qualification. And maybe that's not just to say I've got the qualification, but because there's something to actually learn
2: about. Yeah. And for this exact reason is that, uh, this stuff is not necessarily intuitive. It's counter, a lot of it is counterintuitive. Oh, yeah. So, definitely. I mean, I mean, if you can talk about the pause and warming. For, that's the latest thing that's been going around for the last 10 yeah. years, as if it's the latest thing. But the the, wor- the worth has still been heating up. The difference is the heat's not getting absorbed in the air. It's all going into in the, the ocean. ocean. Yeah. So if you don't understand the, the physics behind, behind that, how could you possibly possibly have any kind of anything uh,
1: What's the word worthwhile looking, to contribute, worthwhile yeah. to, contribute yeah. to the conversation? Yes. Yeah. No, and and that's what I, I like the argue, the um, arrogance of ignorance, which is you are ignorant of this, and yet you arrogantly think you can get yeah. into the conversation about it. And maybe it's being a bit more humble and saying, "Well, I don't really know." Um, and that's why I defer to the expert wisdom in these kinds of things. Here, the uh, look, the I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, just the, the last thing I'd want to mention is it'd be great if we could get some, uh, increase the subscribers of the podcast. So if you're listening to it, you like it, get onto iTunes or whatever your pod, uh, catcher is. Um, and if you can make sure that you, you know, give us a review, um, preferably five stars, but I'll take four. Uh, can <laughs> right you give to- half stars? No, you can't, oh, okay. unfortunately. Yeah. So. Well, whatever, <laughs> the 10-point scale starts getting a bit ridiculous. Um, yeah, look, if you can get on, give us some reviews, that'd be great. If you've got any feedback, uh, you know, get on to Twitter at Theo J. Clark or send an email or a comment to theo.clark at skepticsfieldguide.net. So uh, I think um, we'll wrap
2: it up. Uh, and before we go, Theo, yep. if, if someone did want to buy your... Uh... You're a
1: field guide. Where would they go? Oh, I just go to www.skepticsfieldguide.net, and you know there's different versions: Amazon, Google Play, or Lulu. Um, interestingly enough, Amazon are the ones who get the most sales, but they don't seem to like to pay you so much as, as Google and uh, Lulu. But uh, look, yeah, just really the number one thing I'd like, but at the moment, is to increase our subscribers to the podcast. That'd be great. So if the numbers are going up steadily, but of course, a little boost would be good. So get onto iTunes and. Um Give us a review. That'd be fantastic. So, how much of our
2: numbers increased by there? Was it, 50% oh, it 50% fifty percent increase? Oh, it's at least fifty percent of twenty percent yeah. for the
1: last three <laughs> weeks. <laughs> and yes, I that is actually probably true. It's a little bit sad, really. Um We've got we've doubled our numbers, Ben. We've got <laughs> two listeners, me and you. <laughs> Originally, it was just me, and so, then, I, then I said to Ben, here's, "Here's how you subscribe to podcasts." And now Ben subscribed, and now we've got two. It's so, brilliant.
2: what's the what's the growth in Andrew Bolts? viewership it wouldn't be anywhere near that would it It'd i think like he's have like
1: actually pretty like percent. yeah i think he's have yeah. actually gone down since he's doing his own show the number one thing he's not on an insiders anymore so i don't have to put up with him it's great <laughs> all right until the next podcast um you've been listening to hunting humbug 101 see you later